welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with certified nutrition coach and weight loss expert on a mission to help as many people as possible lose five to 50 pounds for the last time through sustainable habit changes and mindset shifts. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that suck the joy out of life, Brooke will help people make simple, gradual tweaks to their nutrition, lifestyle, and outlook so they can drop those pesky pounds for good without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, eating clean 24-7, or other unfun extremes. Today, we'll be chatting about sustainable habits of weight loss. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Brooke Simonson. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, no, well, let's get this started, Brooke. I know we spoke a few minutes before we, we started recording. So where are you right now on planet Earth? I am in California, Northern California, Oakland, to be exact. And what's the temperature like? Is it make so, us really jealous? Because I'm in Ireland, as I mentioned before. So what's the temperature? Give me, give me, uh, give me Celsius or Fahrenheit. I think it's Fahrenheit in America. Yes, it is Fahrenheit. You know, actually, it's funny you ask because typically it is 70 and sunny here. And I do complain sometimes because I enjoy weather. I used to live in New York City and I really enjoyed the seasons. Um, But you caught us on one of our first rainy days in a long time. It was raining yesterday and it's raining today and it's probably... 60 or 55 outside and I'm personally loving it because again I like the change um but I know that's probably not as appealing to you no no definitely not it's, <laughs> I think I think I think you're just speaking to an Irishman I think we probably uh, I probably created the rain for you in California so you mentioned New York then so did you grow up in the city of New York or around, around the area No, I actually I wish I grew up in New York I grew up in Arizona I've been all over the place so I grew up in Arizona, went to college in California, and then ended up moving to New York for 12 years after college. And then just a couple of years ago, my husband and I moved to California to be back on the West Coast because he's from this area. And I'm, as I said, from Arizona. So it's good to be back closer to family, but I love New York City and miss it every day. So what, what, what's, what's the best part about New York? I mean, I've been to New York a few times myself, and we have this excitement or connection with, especially with America, but New York, especially this part of the world, what's, what's the best part of New York? Is it exciting when you live there? I personally think so. I meet some people who say they hated visiting New York because of the hustle and bustle and it's just crazy. But I always say those people are probably staying in Times Square or someplace that's (laughs) really insane. Um, So living in New York, I love the public transportation. I love walking everywhere. The vibrancy and the energy of the city. It truly is the city that never sleeps. And I'd actually say one of my favorite, favorite parts is being so close to Europe because my husband and I used to take advantage of that. And we'd find cheap flights and fly to Europe even for just four nights, because when you, when you think about it, it's about a six hour flight to a lot of places over there. And it's the same distance to the West coast of the United States. So if you can come to California or go to London or Paris or Dublin <laughs> might as well just <laughs> go across the pond right <laughs> oh yeah have you been to Dublin before I have so actually my sister-in-law is Irish she's from just outside of Galway oh nice. so yeah she got married there and so we spent I think just one night in Dublin and then 
went to her wedding in Galway. And then, yeah, I had been there previously as well, but I love Ireland. Beautiful. We want to go back as soon as travel opens up more. So where's your favorite place in Europe? I feel like I'm part of the tourism board today, especially because everybody's restricted with traveling. So where's your favorite place to go in Europe? Other than Ireland, of course. Oh, there, of course, of course. Uh, So my favorite would have to be Sevilla, Spain, because I studied abroad there. So I lived there for a little over three months. um, And I just really have an affinity for that city. And I took my husband there on our honeymoon. So that's a really special place to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, Galway, super cute. Um, we love Paris as well. There's just so many places to explore over there, I feel. And it's such a quick train ride or plane flight to get to a new country, which I think is just such a novelty. Yeah, no, it's great, especially with the chief fairs. I Hopefully the, the chief fairs will stay when everything goes back to normal but anyway oh yeah we should we should wait and see so i gave you i gave a brief introduction and we've been chatting about your locations and your wonderful holiday habits that you have you and your <laughs> husband around the world so <laughs> tell us a little bit more about your background and, and why did you get into the 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 health the health side of of uh, the industry yeah so i mentioned i was originally born and raised in arizona um my mom was a teacher my dad owned his own business so Those were two career paths I was very familiar with. And originally I pursued the teacher track and I majored in education. And that's actually why I moved to New York. I was in a volunteer program that took me out there and I ended up teaching high school English for 12 years in New York City. Um, And really throughout that time, a lot of stuff happened to me physically. Speaking to the weight gain side, I'd never really gained what we call the freshman 15 over here, which is your first year of college. Everybody jokes you put on 15 pounds because you're away from the parents and eating all of the food there. (laughs) I don't know if you have something similar. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm constantly the 15 pounds excess. So don't worry about it. Oh, okay. I'm always heavy. (laughs) Yes. So, and a lot of people relate to that, right? But that didn't happen to be in college. But then after college, I gained about 20 pounds. And I also just felt really kind of bloated and puffy and tired a lot of the time, hungry most of the time. Or I would joke, it was more like I was hangry because I would get very cranky (laughs) when I was hungry. And just overall, I didn't feel my best. So a lot of the people I spoke to kind of felt the same. I chalked it up to maybe it's now because I'm in the working world or I'm getting older, you know, all these sort of excuses we make for ourselves of this is just something that's now going to happen to me. Um, But I did try a lot. I tried exercising a bunch. I tried doing different juice cleanses. At one point I counted all of my calories. I detoxed from sugar, but nothing really helped me lose weight, keep it off long-term and have ultimately the high energy and confidence I was craving. That's really what I was after. So feeling defeated, I kind of put it aside for a while, settled for my status quo, until I didn't. I'm a very determined person. So in my late 20s, I decided to have a go at it again. And I just, again, wanted to lose the weight for good and feel amazing, but also without being miserable throughout the process. I didn't want to 
give up carbs forever as some people do when they do keto, or I didn't want to exercise every single day at the gym because I hated going to the gym. So in my quest to learn everything I could about weight loss, weight maintenance and nutrition, I guess you could say I sort of spiraled down a rabbit hole of podcasts. I read a bunch of scholarly articles and books, and I eventually enrolled in coursework to become a certified nutrition coach. Um, and at the time I kind of thought I would use the knowledge for myself and maybe coach clients on the side of teaching. But once I cracked the code and figured out how to look in my, feel my best without cutting anything out while enjoying all foods, while enjoying life and really doing less than I had done when I was doing all of the things, I wanted to shout my success from the rooftops and my passion for health just really grew. And I wanted to teach that instead of teaching English. So when my husband and I moved, as I said, from New York to Oakland, that fresh start was kind of the impetus I needed to leave my teaching career and try my hand at the other profession I had seen growing up from my dad, which was owning a business. And so I started my own business, The Health Investment, in 2019. And since then, I've coached dozens of clients, helped them lose weight and keep it off long term. have to keep saying that because <laughs> that's the important <laughs> part. And really, just without any of these extremes we see, like the giving up carbs, the counting every calorie, a lot of people drink meal replacement shakes. There's so many unsustainable things out there that people try. And like I said, they just kind of also suck the fun and joy out of life. And I'm not here for that type of lifestyle. So I guess you could say my goal now through everything I do is to get the word out that it's really not helpful to focus on things you can't control. Like aging, for example, we're all going to age. There's so much you can do regardless of your age right now to look and feel better than you even did 10 years ago. And you don't have to follow the strict rules of any diet. It's absolutely possible to show up as your trimmest, healthiest, most energized, most confident self while enjoying all foods and life. Yeah, that would mean I'm sold. I, I'm, exactly. I'm there. I'm Usually there. when I say that people give me the kind of side eye and like, okay, but this is all too good to be true. And you're just spouting nonsense. And some people even turn me <laughs> off because they think this girl's crazy. Right. <laughs> I'll say nothing just yet. We'll, 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 yeah, yeah. we'll find out as we go along. So can I get, take, take a few steps back then? So you mentioned uh, previously you were, you know, you were hangry, as you mentioned, or bloated. So can you explain what bloated is? I mean, are we talking about like a belly full of air, a belly full of wind, or just un uncomfortable? So for listeners yeah. to actually get a full grasp of it, because we hear all these things like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, people being bloated. What is it? Right. I mean, a lot of times it could just be your body retaining water. Um, so if you're eating a bunch of sodium the night before, let's say, or if you're not sleeping that well, if you're very stressed out, there's a lot of different ways your body can kind of puff up. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, it was typically around the midsection. That's where most people experience it. And it's just this uncomfortable feeling. It, it generally happens, I'd say, when you're not eating foods that are optimal for your body, that are very nutrient dense, you're not maximizing 
um, your protein intake, you're not getting a lot of vegetables, though sometimes vegetables can cause bloat, but um, you know, <laughs> the more you kind of get your gut introduced to a variety of vegetables and things like beans and lentils that can actually go down because your gut kind of gets used to that. Um, but yeah, the bloat was uncomfortable and it makes your pants not fit as well. And then also you mentioned being hangry. Um, I remember this one specific day I had eaten breakfast. I'd had a snack. I had lunch and then I had a 45 minute commute home, um, from my teaching job. And so I had two trains I had to take. So after the second train I got off and I had about a 10 minute walk and I just felt so hungry that I couldn't make it home that 10 minute walk. And I had to go into a corner store and buy a bag of pretzels that I thought would kind of help. <laughs> and I just, I felt like food was constantly controlling me rather than the other way around. And I was just really on this roller coaster of hunger constantly of needing to carry an emergency apple in my purse, which I actually did because I never knew when I was going to get this feeling of being so hungry that I couldn't even walk. Um, and I didn't know what was causing it. I didn't have the education or the nutritional knowledge to understand what was going on. And I think a lot of people lack that. I don't know about you guys, but we don't really, we learn kind of health and nutrition in school or so they say, but not really. And then our parents haven't learned it and our grandparents maybe haven't learned it. So nobody really knows like what you're supposed to do, which is yeah. why people end up trying all of these diets and cleanses. And I don't know if it's the same over there, but there's always a new thing popping up um, that people are trying. And typically people do lose weight doing these things. I mean, anybody can lose weight if they cut out an entire macronutrient like carbs, because you're putting yourself in a calorie deficit. But then the trick becomes, what are you going to do if you reintroduce real food, if you've been on a juice cleanse, or if you reintroduce carbs, what are you going to do then? Are you going to gain all the weight back? And typically the answer is yes. For the majority of people, they end up losing and regaining the same 5, 10, 15, 20 plus pounds year after year. Wow. Okay. I, it's, it's interesting you said that because I have tried the weight loss shakes. I won't say which brand I use, but it's quite yeah. a popular one. And I think it was on day three and I stuck to it very strictly and I followed it, but I felt, I felt weird. I felt kind of, I had no energy. I felt sick. Yeah. I felt nauseous. Um, I kind of wouldn't say just didn't feel right. And then it was funny because then I said to myself, no, no, this is not for me. And even though only after day three, <laughs> I, yeah. I went down to the kitchen. I got myself I think, a piece of bread or a slice of bread with jam. And about 20 or 30 minutes later, I, I felt, oh, I feel good again. So I just, <laughs> that, that kind of scared me a little bit um, with, with the, uh, the using these uh, weight loss shakes. I'm not saying it's not suitable for everybody, but for me, I, I, I wasn't a big fan. So what about then, Brooke, confidence? So does maintaining weight uh, to a healthy level, you know, does it enhance somebody's confidence? Yes. I mean, for myself, I can speak to that. And for the clients I've worked with, and I think you bring up a good point that I just want to touch on is 
to a healthy weight, right? Yeah. Often, you know, there's these trolls on social media who pop into your messages or whatever. And if you say the term weight loss now, it's triggering to people and people are coming at you, you know, like not everybody needs to lose weight. And I agree. And not everybody wants to lose weight. I agree with that as well. And you don't have to be a size four as a woman, right? Um, I think everybody has a weight they feel healthiest and happiest at, and that could be a different size for different people. Um, the healthiest piece of it probably comes in conversations with your doctor as well. So maybe a doctor has recommended that you lose some weight so that you improve blood work or whatever. Um, and then a lot of times that same doctor won't have really the advice that you need. They'll just say, go out and lose weight, right? And yeah. eat less, move more or whatever they say, which isn't helpful. Um, but I really truly believe, you know, when you hit your happiest, healthiest weight, whatever that is for you, it means just looking in your closet and being able to wear any of your clothes and enjoying the way they look on your body and not feeling like you have to unbutton that top button of your jeans because you're so uncomfortable or that you have to buy all new clothes. And then when you're in those clothes, you just strut out of your place, just feeling on top of the world. And you also have this confidence once you get a general handle on nutrition of, you know, what works for your body, you know, that you're never, ever going to have to do one of these diets. You see everyone around you doing again, and you just move through life with this confidence, both in how you look, but also in how you feel and knowing that you are on top of this and you're not going to be controlled by food anymore. It's going to be the other way around. You are completely in control and it's just the most liberating feeling. Um, I was actually messaging with one of my former clients yesterday and she had just gone on this beautiful cruise. I guess they opened up a new cruise if you're vaccinated and whatever. Um, so she was able to travel again. And she said it was the first time she traveled for 10 days and didn't gain any weight and just felt completely free the entire time to enjoy certain foods, but also know that feeding her body a certain way would make her look and feel her best on this cruise. So she wasn't waking up like we mentioned with the bloat or the just kind of gross feeling every morning. And she was just sharing how it was the best trip of her life. And she, again, that word free came up or confident or energized all these things we want to feel even on vacation. And then she said, you know, getting back from vacation, she knows exactly what to do to get right back on track with the food she typically eats. And it's not like, oh, I went on vacation. I gained five pounds. Now I have to not eat anything but vegetables for a right. solid week, <laughs> as many people do. Has there been places or times, Brooke, where you may encounter a very, say, slim looking individual and you find out that their diet is is not very good and can we determine can we explain what diet diet is because I think in my own opinion diet is sometimes misused term for losing weight but diet right. is nutrition is it or can you yeah. expand on that yeah so to the first point you absolutely can be too thin and very unhealthy um, sometimes that can come from 
you're not eating enough. So you've put yourself in too extreme of a calorie deficit and that come, come with a host of issues. Or there are people that we know, I think the statistic is maybe 1%, maybe it's 5%, but these people who are blessed with a super fast metabolism and they can literally eat anything they want, but never gain weight. But those people too can kind of struggle because they can literally eat anything. So they may be drawn to some of the more refined processed foods and, you know, as we label kind of junk foods out there. Um, but then their organs may not look the same. So that person may be called skinny fat on the inside, right? Cause they're, or they're skinny on the outside, but on the inside, their organs aren't looking so great. So the, your size really is not the ultimate determinant of health. And there's not a direct correlation with that. Um, and then you bring up another great point about the word diet. That word has been really commandeered to mean if you say diet, then somebody thinks you're trying to lose weight or somebody thinks you're doing something like counting calories or cutting out some types of foods or sugar, but really your diet is just what you're eating on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so predominantly, hopefully predominantly whole, minimally processed foods and getting a good ratio of protein, vegetables, healthy fats. And I also say volume is very important. People don't talk enough about volume, but you actually want your stomach to stretch a little bit because that releases hormones that tell your body you're full and it suppresses hormones that tell your body that you're hungry. So that slight stomach stretch, not like the big one after a huge meal, but a little stomach stretch is actually good. So it's important to eat enough, again, to signal to your body that you're full, eat enough of the nutrient dense things that actually fill you up. And that's a real game changer. So protein, produce, healthy fats, volume, all these things kind of contribute to your diet. Diet doesn't mean you're dieting per se. What about then hydration? Because I know yes. myself sometimes when I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm some fantastic sports athlete, but when I, when I do go to the gym, when I have an opportunity, I, I find myself that I feel that you might feel as if I'm hungry, but then when I have a drink mm -hmm. of water, or I have some electrolytes that actually feel, oh, I kind of feel okay now. So is hydration kind of, is it as important as the food? Yes, hydration is critical. Um, and you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of the times we may think we're hungry, but we're just thirsty. And the way to kind of figure that out is to get in the habit of drinking water throughout the day, which can be challenging, you know, to remember to drink water, um, some things I recommend to people are maybe to keep a coaster even next to your workspace. And that will be the physical, the, you know, visual trigger that you need to, every time you look at the coaster and it's empty, you think, ah, I got to go get a glass of water, maybe carry a reusable water bottle with you as an, again, a visual trigger to fill it up. Um, there's different kind of ideas out there of how much water to drink. A rule of thumb you could follow is this idea of eight by eight, which would be eight, eight ounce glasses of water per day. But then also monitor yourself because that's not just 
a blanket statement for everyone. So people who are more active will need more water. Maybe if you're less active, you need less water. Um, but the best way to tell, honestly, if you're drinking enough water is that your urine, your pee should be a light yellow, very light yellow. So if it's clear all the time, you may be drinking too much water. And if it's darker, you definitely need more water. Um, so that's the best way to determine for yourself, for your personal needs and your water intake requirements will vary, like you said, based on how active you are or how much sodium you've had. You know, you may feel different um, desires for water on different days, but absolutely get as much water as possible. And it doesn't have to be boring. Like for a lot of people, they think, uh, water I've actually had clients tell me they hate water. <laughs> they hate the taste <laughs> of it. Um, so then maybe, you know, know yourself and self-awareness is so critical on this whole journey. So if you know that water is not your favorite thing, think about how you could make it more exciting. Maybe it is the type of glass or canister you drink it out of that would make it more fun. Maybe it's muddling some berries in the bottom of water. Maybe you don't like lukewarm water and you like cold water with ice, like figure out for you what makes it more palatable so that you're more likely to drink it. What about then these vitamin drinks? Um, mm. We won't mention any brands per se, mm -hmm. but I believe there's a lot of sugar in a lot of these kind of electrolyte style drinks that you can buy in your supermarkets or over the counter. Are they necessary or does water generally cover the hydration that we need. Yeah, it is important to have electrolytes in order to store water. So you definitely need electrolytes. I mean, you're probably eating salts through your diet. So that will help you retain a lot of the water you're drinking. Um, if you are more of kind of like a hardcore athlete and maybe you have a trainer or someone who has said drink electrolyte drinks, I would stick to the zero calorie no sugar ones. A lot of them can be just like drinking a soda. They have just as much sugar and calories as a soda. So I would be mindful of that, but I don't think for the average person who is moderately active, it's necessary to get like an electrolyte drink every day. They do also have um, different types of electrolytes. So I take one that is a kind of complete combination of electrolytes in a pill form. If I, let's say I'm flying, cause flying can be very dehydrating. Or if I have had a very extreme workout and I sweat a ton. So it doesn't always have to be turning to the drink form. There are different forms of electrolytes. Even just putting some salt in water can be a little electrolyte drink. Um, so, but I wouldn't, I mean, I think we often get distracted by all of these things. You know, we'll see the electrolyte drink and then we'll think, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Maybe that's the problem. Really, if we just get back to the basics that, and you're drinking the water and you're eating nutrient dense foods most of the time, you're gonna feel pretty good. So you probably don't need a lot of these fringe supplements and beverages to feel your best, but companies will make you think you need them. But <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> yes, yes. Money makes the world go round. Yes, and around it sure and around does. and around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what about then? Right, okay. It's me. I'm sitting on the sofa. I'm watching my TV. I'm having my 
my pretzels and my Pringles and I'm feeling bloated and hangry and I want to change my outlook and I want to control uh, my weight to a healthy level. So what are the first steps then to weight loss? If I'm feeling a little bit overweight and I want to get myself healthy again. Yeah, I love that question. I would say the very first step has nothing to do with even any action. The very first step everyone listening should take if you decide you want to lose weight is to pause and have a mindset shift that's absolutely critical, which is you've got to tell yourself, I can choose something to do to lose weight, right? There's many different approaches out there, but I shouldn't do anything that I won't be able to sustain for a hundred years. That's the first step. So I call this the hundred year rule because a lot of people focus way too much on weight loss. And then they end up doing that quick fix that'll only get them the short-term results like keto, like counting every calorie or juice cleanse, or like you mentioned, a meal replacement shake. And then those are the people that end up losing and regaining the same weight over and over and over. So do that hundred year test mindset shift first thing so that you don't fall for another fad or gimmick out there. Will I be able to do this for a hundred years? Once you find something that you say, yes, I'm going to be able to do this for a hundred (laughs) years, then I would say a second step that most people skip is setting a very specific goal for yourself and asking yourself why you want to achieve that goal. So let me explain this a little bit more. A lot of people hit their hit January 1st and they'll say, this is my year to get healthy, right? I'm going to get healthy this year. Or this is my year to lose weight. I'm going to do it. But that's not specific. It's not a goal that's measuring how much or by when it's just kind of out there in the ether and it's not tangible. And so it's very hard to reach a goal in any, any form of life, business, you know, career, anything, if it's not specific. So I would say, ask yourself how much and by when, so what is your super specific goal? It let's roll with weight loss. So if you say, I want to weigh 200 pounds by December 31st, that's very specific and measurable. And the better off you'll be if you're setting the specific goal, also be sure it's realistic. So you're not going to healthily lose five pounds in a month, or sorry, you could lose five pounds in a month, in a week. You're not going to lose five pounds in a week. A healthy rate of weight loss is about a half a pound to two pounds per week. I don't know what that translates to, actually. I'm speaking in pounds. What would that, do you know what that translates to for you? Uh, there's about, uh, about two, I think there's 2.2 pounds to a kilo. So about, okay. probably about a kilo a week. Would, okay. that, be, would that be right? Yeah. So, what, so yeah. half a pound to two, two pounds a week. Is that correct? Yes. So I would say, yeah, let's not aim for more than a kilo a right. week. Yeah. Um, and so when you're coming up with that specific goal, keep that in mind. It's don't say, you know, I'm going to lose like three, ca- three kilos this week. I mean, that's not going to be possible. Yeah. Um, and then the second half I mentioned is what, once you set that super specific goal, ask yourself, why do I want to achieve this? But ask yourself that question five times. So why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to lose weight five times and give five different answers? 
And the reason that's important is that's going to keep you rooted in taking action week after week, even when things get difficult. Um, and it'll help you stay committed. And again, this is a step people miss. And so they just throw out into the ether. I want to lose weight. But when you have a specific goal and you're really rooted in why you're doing this, and then you write those things down and you keep them on your bathroom mirror or in your car, in your kitchen, that's going to help you keep with your changes week after week, because you know why you're changing in the first place. And then the final step then comes down to the behavior change. And I would say, keep it small. Identify the first small, simple step you can take that moves you closer to that goal. So buy healthier groceries isn't very specific. And if you were to say like, I need to eat more protein at every meal, that could be overwhelming, right? That's not really a small step to take. So understand that you're going to have to take these small, simple steps week after week. And maybe your first one is just to focus on breakfast. So I would say, take a look at your breakfast, ask, how can I get 30-ish grams of protein at breakfast? Protein's the most filling of the three macronutrients. So it will really set you up for success for the day. And just focus on that for seven to 14 days until you've got the hang of it. You have a few breakfasts you enjoy that are around 30 grams of protein. And then you can take another small action. So layer them on top of each other slowly. Don't just say like, I'm going to change every single meal because the more overwhelmed you are, the more likely you are to just throw up your hands and give up after a month. Is it then Brooke, the, say for example, the morning time, uh, for the protein, would you be using protein drinks or would you be using certain food groups that would be high in protein? You could, you could use protein drinks. Some people like to make a protein smoothie using a protein powder. Some people like to drink the pre-made protein beverages. Um, and then there are a lot of foods that are higher in protein. So you could have some type of animal protein at breakfast, like a sausage, let's say. You could have some eggs. Uh, yogurt is very high, especially Greek yogurt. It's very high in protein. So there's a lot of ways to go about it. And that's why these one size fits all approaches don't help anyone because you've got to figure out what works for you. You've got to eat things you actually enjoy. I mean, if you're waking up every morning and having to drink a protein shake and you hate that, that is not going to be sustainable for you. So Mm -hmm. you've got to figure out, I mean, there's so many options out there for protein. And then bonus is if you get a bunch of fiber as well, like through vegetables would be great. So I'm thinking if you whip up a egg and egg white omelet, throw in some spinach and bell pepper, maybe a little bit of low fat cheese, you've got a high protein breakfast that's going to keep you full for hours. And that's the goal that you're not hungry an hour later and then reaching for every snack before lunch. So is this approach, is this similar to the 3A approach that you you work with? Yeah. So the 3A approach, I've kind of, this is what I say. I work with every client one-on-one or I have a membership site as well, but After years of the research I've done in my experience, I've really figured out that healthy, sustainable, diet-free weight loss boils down to 
three critical A's as I call them. So the first is awareness, the second is attitude, and the third is accountability. And I'll explain a bit what each of those mean. The first is just the awareness, like we're talking about, of the things that actually work and the nutrition principles that are actually going to be with you forever so that you can get off the roller coaster, you can stop yo-yoing. You have to have some type of education when it comes to nutrition. Not a formal education, you don't have to go back to school, but you probably didn't get that from teachers or even your parents or even doctors because they may not even know the nutritional basics that work. So you've got to understand the basics of how nutrition fuels your body. That's the awareness piece. The attitude piece, I mentioned that one mindset shift of, can I do this for a hundred years? There are a lot of attitude or mindset shifts that you've got to adopt throughout the process to keep the weight off long-term. Um, for example, stop labeling a food as good or bad, because then you end up thinking of yourself as good or bad for eating different things. And that's not the case. So a mindset shift to adopt is there's foods that are less nutritious and there's foods that are more nutritious. And the majority of the time you want to eat things that are more nutritious, but you're not a bad person for eating. Like you said, the Pringles, <laughs> it's just helpful to label those as less nutritious make a note of it and then think, okay, at my next meal, how can I get more nutritious things that will fuel my body properly? And then the final A is accountability. And it's important, I think, to have an honest kind of look at yourself and see where you fall on the self-accountability spectrum. Are you really good at holding yourself accountable when you get some systems in place? Or are you not? <laughs> and I would say be open to getting outside accountability because accountability can boost your odds of success by up to 95% studies show. And accountability could come from your partner. It could come from a friend. It could come from a group of coworkers. It could come from a coach. Um, but really, you know, sit with yourself and ask, how have I done in the past holding myself accountable for a lot of people? The answer is not so great. So how could you develop some type of community or at least get one other person on board with you so that you can check in with that person and kind of both hold each other accountable? So tell me this, Brooke, how then do you manage cravings? I mean, mm -hmm. we're all going to get them and mm -hmm. we all have our sweets, we all have our Pringles, we all have our, our ice creams and our sugary drinks. So the first one is, how do we manage those cravings? And then what foods are known to actually keep us fuller for longer? I know you've mentioned uh, the, the certain proteins there, you can have a smoothie, but what, what, what would you recommend to keep you going? Yeah, cravings are funny because people come to me and the first thing they usually say, a lot of my clients is I'm addicted to sugar or I'm addicted to carbs or I can't control myself when I'm in the kitchen. And then after working with me for about a month or so, inevitably they reach out and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my cravings have just disappeared. I don't have them. They're not as strong as anymore. I shouldn't say disappeared. They're not as strong anymore. And I'm really getting a handle on them. So the secret to this is really eating enough 
a lot of people aren't eating enough. There are some popular calorie tracking apps that will tell people to eat even 1200 calories a day, which is probably the amount a two-year-old should be eating. So if you're eating 1200 calories a day, you are going to be hungry all the time. And the things you're going to want to reach for are going to be the things that you feel like you're craving, right? Like the chips and the soda and the ice cream, you're just going to be ravenous. So it's really, there's not a problem with you. You're not broken. You're not different than any of the rest of us. You're just not eating enough and you're not getting, your body's not getting the nutrients it needs. So the best way to manage cravings is to eat enough, but to eat enough of the right things. So you're going to want to prioritize real whole foods the majority of the time, minimally processed foods, and I specifically I mentioned protein, produce, fat, and volume. I abbreviate this PPFV um, just because I was a teacher (laughs) and I like to get a little mnemonic devices. Um, But if you really focus on that, how can I get enough protein at each meal? How can I get a bunch of produce? How can I get a tablespoon or two of fat, making it ideally healthier fat, like nuts, seeds, avocado, extra virgin olive oil. And we spoke about volume. How can I get enough volume, ideally through water, non-starchy veggies, so that I'm eating enough of the right things and my body's actually feeling full and satisfied. And therefore, yes, I will still want a cookie or want some ice cream, but you don't feel out of control with these cravings. It becomes more of a, yeah, I could have some ice cream right now, but I'm not super hungry because I'm very full after my day of eating. So maybe I'll wait to enjoy ice cream this weekend. And, you know, I don't need it every night. I don't feel like I need these things. And it's really powerful. It's, I can speak from my own experience and working with clients that this really does work for managing cravings, just eating enough of the right things. If listeners then, Brooke, if they, I'm actually looking while you're chatting there, I'm looking at your website, thehealthinvestment.com, and uh, you have a uh, Fabi podcast. So if listeners were to listen to your podcast, what would they expect? And then if they were to contact you via your website, what services do you provide? Yeah. So on my podcast, I take kind of a broader scope. So with clients, I typically work with them on dialing in their nutrition and they come to me specific, specifically for weight loss. There are some episodes about nutrition and weight loss on the podcast, but it's called the health investment. So I mostly interview experts about all a variety of topics. You'll find everything there from, um, you know, I've had specialists on talking about postpartum nutrition after they've given birth to there's an episode with, uh, somebody who works with bees and talking about honey. There's all sorts of things. Yeah. On the podcast. And so that's available on all podcast providers. And then to work with me, there's two avenues to do that. So I do one-on-one coaching. And then I also have more of a group type group coaching type of program in the form of a membership site. So all the podcasts, the one-on-one coaching opportunity and the group coaching, they're all on my website, hopefully easy to navigate and 
you can kind of click through and find whatever strikes your fancy. <laughs> well, no, so, so tell me then about the bees. So what what are the benefits then of of uh, bees? I know we know they produce honey and there's certain different types of honey which can have uh, certain health benefits. But um, expand. I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah. So he he's fascinating. He actually is my friend's father who started up beekeeping in conjunction with his job just in his backyard. Um, I think he's semi-retired now, but bees are just absolutely critical. I don't know if you've heard, I mean, if we lose the bees, we are screwed <laughs> as a right. world oh okay. because they pollinate everything. Um, and he gets into a lot of the actual hive and how if the queen bee dies, there's a whole search for a new queen bee. I mean, it's really fascinating. I would highly recommend listening. I think it's my husband's favorite episode because every time he brings up the podcast, he mentions the bees <laughs> and I have a hundred over a hundred episodes now. And I'm like, really? That's it's, you always bring up the bees, but yeah, fascinating guy. The bees, the bees knees. So where else then can the listeners get in contact you on social media or on the usual Instagrams and the Facebooks? Yes, I'm on most social media. I just got on TikTok, which is a little it's crazy that world of TikTok. Are you dancing? Are you started dancing? I did. I did a dance. I did. I'm ashamed to say I did a dance, but you know, I say I'll dance if it gets the message out there and helps people quit dieting. I'll do a dance and just hide your eyes, right? Just (laughs) don't watch the dance. Get a dance with the bees. Yes. That's what I need to do. A dance with the bees. You're exactly right. That would be way better. That'll blow Um, TikTok. That'll be, that'll go viral. Viral. They're like, is, is she running away from the bees or is she dancing <laughs> with the bees or what's, what's going on there? Yeah, that's I cool. know. <laughs> I got a partner with this dude for sure. Um, but I would say I'm most active on Instagram. You can just find me at the health investment. Um, but I post on there on the stories throughout the day, different things I'm eating and why and try to give helpful tips on there. And it always feels like no one's paying attention, but then somebody will message and I'm like, oh, there are people out there. <laughs> It is interesting because the, you know, well, what I found anyway, with, with when you're dealing with, with, say, mental health or health and fitness in general, is a lot of people do listen and they do look at your content, but they mightn't follow it. And yeah. I don't mean you specifically. I mean, this is even in our case. It's where, and it is quite interesting that I'm, you know, it's probably trying to get people over that taboo or to be more comfortable to realize that, you know, we are human beings. We do have these, you know, uh, issues at times, whether it be bloating or uh, any other health issues that you might have. But it is interesting to see that um, there'd be a lot of, uh, if, if Brooke is dancing with bees, she'll get a million hits. But if, <laughs> <laughs> but if Brooke is talking about something else, it might be a little bit lower. But it's, it is interesting that you, you, uh, uh, you say that. But no, keep doing what you're doing. Um, but I'd like to thank uh, Brooke Simonson today for chatting with me on the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. Uh, All the links will be placed uh, at the bottom of the podcast. As Brooke has mentioned, uh, she has her website, which is healthinvestment.com. She has a fabulous podcast and you can catch her on uh, all uh, social media platforms, including TikTok. So thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me, David. It was so great talking with you. My pleasure. Thank you.